Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Hey, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. If you're a regular with us, we're glad you're here too. Will you stand with me? Jesus, I pray that you'll be glorified in everything that happens. Your spirit is already here. Move in our hearts, move in our lives, and may we be just a little bit more like you when we leave this place. We love you, God. Amen. Let's sing together. We taught this to you a couple of weeks ago. Christ is my firm foundation. Sing with me. Christ is my firm foundation. The rock on which I stand When everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad I put my faith in Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful through generations so why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. No, he won't. He won't. I've still got joy in
sing the rains came, the winds blew. So we can surrender everything to God because he's faithful. Amen. Sing with me. Take my life and let it be ever only all for thee. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of my love. Sing that second verse with me. We're going to start that one again. We're having a couple of technicalities. Sorry, that's me. Let's just do it us. Let's forget the track. Ready? 
Your holiness is what I long for. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want for me. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want for me. Take my life, take my have a seat. We're going to pray. Oh, those songs took me back. Um, 
didn't know that I was going to share with you guys a little bit of my testimony, but after singing those songs, I feel like maybe I should. Um, quickly, seventh grade, I um, gave my life to Jesus. Um, was not a nice 13-year-old. <laughs> I was one of those. And I was at a, a lock-in, an overnight lock-in with a youth group kind of thing. And there were like 500 kids there. And um, there was a guy there named Danny Goddard. And he was, a, he was an older gentleman. And he was our speaker that night. And he wasn't the coolest guy in the world at all. Um, and he talked about how he carried around his pocket calendar all the time in his front pocket. And that one, one day he spilled spaghetti sauce over it, um, and he had to get a new one. And he talked to us about new starts. He talked to us about getting a new calendar in our lives. And that night, um, I was one of two who came forward to say, yeah, I want a new start. I want a new start with Jesus. And um, out of 500 kids, and, and it just so happened that I brought all of my friends from school with me. Um, so that was, you know, no pressure there, Jen, to uh, live this out in front of your friends. But um, what happened over the course of the next couple of years was a lot of me learning more about who Jesus was. Um, and in the ninth grade was when I could sing those songs and say, that's what I want for my life. I don't want this to just be a, hey, Jesus, you saved me, and that's, you know, cool. After really starting to understand the character of God and the character of Jesus, I knew whatever you want for my life, Jesus, Whatever that looks like, that might be super scary. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to say yes. Ninth grade. And from that point, it's been such a journey of learning how to trust him each step of the way. When things are hard. When there's grief. When there's good days, when I think that I have it under control, <laughs> every day putting myself in front of Jesus and being able to sing with my whole heart, take my life and form it. Do whatever it is that you want to do in me, God. Change me and do through me what you would do if you were walking on this earth. It's not my life anymore. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what you're doing for me, Jesus. It's what about we can do together because I'm in it. And I just wonder this morning if you've gotten to that point. I just wonder if you can sing those songs and say, yeah, that's what I want. 
Whatever it is that you have for me, Jesus, that's what I want. I want you to transform my life. I want you to take it and do with it whatever you want. Take me where you want me to go. Lead me where you want me to go. Do through me whatever it is that you want to do. Because let me tell you, friends, we have a stretch of road in front of us that in the past 10 days is wrecked with grief. It is wrecked with pain and trauma. And this is just Taylor Road. Oh, this world needs transformed Christ followers. Transformed people who say, whatever it is, Jesus, I say yes. And so this morning, we don't do this very often. But we have open altars, and there is nothing magical except that when you stand up and you move forward, you put yourself in a posture of accountability to others and to God to say, this is a moment. This is a moment, God, that I want to say yes to you, whatever that looks like. Whether you are... 10 years old, 100 years old, whatever it is you want me to do. And I'm just going to ask you before we go any further in this service, if that's you, if you want to say, Jesus, whatever it is you have for me, stand up, come forward. If you can't stand up, if you can't move forward, raise your hand, do something that you can look back on this day and say, this was a day that I want to remember because this is the day Jesus didn't save me necessarily today but he started to take control of my life in a new way all right so I'm going to ask you to stand up and let's pray together if you want to come forward and pray I want you to if you want to just raise your hand and say that's me I want you to okay I'm going to give you a moment. You can close your eyes, not if you're walking. Jesus, I remember the beating in my chest. I remember, I remember just knowing with my whole body that you had something more for me. No, you didn't have an easier life for me. You didn't have you didn't have a life for me filled with all kinds of popularity and money and those kinds of things that others think make this place so great. But I knew Jesus that walking with you
that walking with you was the only life for me. And so many of us want certainties. We want to know exactly what is around the corner. You are. You are. And so, God, today we come to you. We come to you with our whole hearts. And we say, do in me whatever it is you want to do, God. We are willing. We are listening. We are attuned. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what you can do for me, Jesus, even though what that is is so amazing. But Lord, we put ourselves in a posture of surrender this morning to say, take our lives. Take our minds. Take everything about us. Take our hearts. Take our mouths. Take our feet and our hands. Take it all, Jesus. Take it all and do whatever it is that it is that you want to do in us and through us. Can, can you just help us get out of the way? Can you help us to not be so concerned about what somebody else thinks? <laughs> can you help us to just say yes without any kind of worry about any of that stuff? Because you are trustworthy. You are the only one that is truly trustworthy. And so we give ourselves to you. We give our lives to you, Jesus. Take us, form us, transform us, because only you can. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you are with us today, you are in for a treat. Okay, so yeah, if you are visiting with us, this is not a normal Sunday, just so you know. Um, But today we are taking in members, and we have our annual meeting at our potluck, and you are welcome to stay and join. Normally the potluck is just, hey, let's have fun. Um, This is going to be a little bit more talking, but you're welcome to join us. Please stay. But if you are joining the church today... Will you come up here? Yay. So I will I will introduce these people real fast. This is Lisa. She and her husband, Mike. Mike can't be here today, but they are joining by transfer from the cold tundra of Michigan. And this is Troy and Joy. And they are joining us from the cold tundra of Taylor Road down the street. <laughs> so... Uh, Okay, yeah. All right, so I'm going to have you all stand here. So i got to do it this way. So This is going to sound so funny because this isn't the way we speak around here. However, dearly beloved, (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. No, no. This is a different. This is a different speech. You're already good. Oh yeah. If you're watching this online, type in what you think I'm about to do. <laughs> the privileges and blessings that have been in a, that have in association together in the Church of the Nazarene are very sacred and precious. There's in it such hallowed fellowship as cannot otherwise be known. There is such helpfulness with brotherly watch, uh, watch and care and counsel as can be found only in the church. There are godly care of pastors with the teaching of the word and with helpful inspiration of social worship. And there's corporation in service, accomplishing that which cannot otherwise be done. We need you. The doctrines upon which the church rests are essential to Christian experience and belief. So I want to read you what we believe as a church and specifically as a church of the Nazarene. And then I'm going to ask you to respond if you affirm that you believe that. Okay, so here we go. We believe in one. We believe in God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We especially emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ and the personality of the Holy Spirit. We believe that humans are born in sin, that they need the work of forgiveness through Christ and the new birth by the Holy Spirit. That subsequent to this, there's a deeper work of heart cleansing, or in our churchy language, we call it entire sanctification. But it's basically God is renewing you. It's Romans 12, being transformed type of sentimentality. That's done through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that to each of these works of, the, of grace, the Holy Spirit gives witness. We believe that our Lord will return, that the dead will be raised, and that we shall come to final judgment with its reward and punishments. Do you heartily believe these truths? And if so, answer, I do. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And do you realize that he saves you now? Then desiring to unite with the Church of the Nazarene, do you covenant to give yourself to the fellowship and work of God in connection with it as set forth in the covenant and Christian character and the covenant of, of Christian conduct of the Church of the Nazarene? That's kind of the stuff that we went over the first week of Compass Class. Will you endeavor in every way to glorify God by a humble walk, by godly conversation, and by holy service? And by devoting, devotedly giving of your means, by faithful attendance upon the means of grace, and by abstaining from all evil, will you seek earnestly to perfect holiness of heart and life in the fear of the Lord? If you will, say, I do. Church, that's a good reminder for us. Many of you are members. That's what we affirm, right? So... I'm so excited. I welcome you into the church, to its sacred fellowship, responsibilities, and privileges. May the great head of the church bless and keep you and enable you to be faithful in all good works, that your life and witness may, may be effective in leading others to Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you've called us to one body. There's one spirit, there's one baptism, and we all play a part. 
I thank you for these four that have said that they want to unite with this local church to become the engine of this local church through prayer, through giving, through worship, through service, through community outreach. I thank you for their affirmation, and I thank you for the work that you have for this church. God, I pray that you will help us to, through you, surprise ourselves by how much you can accomplish through open vessels. We pray this in your name. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pass the peace now, um, which is basically a fancy way of saying meet and greet. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah. They're gone. No, no, no. It's just too late. <laughs> I was going to have you stay up here so people could come up and say hi, but they see where you are. You're good. You... <laughs> so we're going to pass peace with each other. You've been sitting for a couple of minutes, so would you stand with me? Um, in our church, we believe that peace with each other and peace with God is what we're called to. And so may I be the first possibly to say to you today, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Thanks. Will you go and meet someone around you? We've got some visitors. Say hello. Will you welcome our new members to the church? As we start looking at John, I just want to beg you, get alone, figure out a place where no one can get to you, and just sit and meditate on these truths, because there's just no way you're going to get it. 
I mean, the reason why I chose to teach John 14 to 17 is I, I'm just going, God, if there's one passage I really want to know before I die, it's this one. Be, be, because, you know, we, we think like knowing something is like at school or in seminary where they tell you something and then you say, yeah, I know that and I can get it right on a test. No. It's about some miracle happening where the core of who you are, God strengthens you. And now you know these truths. So I'm begging you, don't just breeze through these passages. Figure out a place where you can go, where no one can get to you. It's just you and God. And you imagine being in that upper room, and Jesus saying these words to you. So that video was just a little bit of a tease for our new Bible study that's starting this Friday night. So if you want to get alone with a small group of people, and focus on the words of Jesus and let them get into you. Um, as it says, sign up in the lobby. Uh, it starts on Friday. Or if you want, see Lisa uh, in, in just a little bit after the service. Uh, maybe sit by her at lunch and talk to her about it. Uh, so that's coming this Friday. Speaking of lunch after church, we've got our potluck. I saw people bringing food in. If you didn't bring food, please don't worry about that plan. Stay with us. Uh, enjoy. There's always plenty of food. And as we said, this one's a little bit different in that there's going to be a meeting with some information about the church. Don't let that scare you. Please stay. Join us uh, for that. Part of that meeting is also leading toward our church elections, which is an annual process taking place on February 19th before and after the service. There's not going to be a lot of political campaigning or signs or speeches or anything like that. But it's just an opportunity for, for us to elect people who will serve as our leaders uh, for the next year. And then transitioning a little bit into talking about our offerings. So we give our tithes and offerings to support the mission of God uh, here in Port Orange and around the world. But we also specifically target each month our good neighbor offering where we can partner with someone or someone local that just could use a boost. And we have someone uh, this month that uh, is a woman who's been a domestic violence victim and just needs our help. And so we're continuing that. On the offering, if you're giving online, there's a way for you to indicate that you're giving toward the Good Neighbor offering. This is above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings, but it's a way for us to reach out in a tangible way and be Jesus for people in our community. So for offering... Um, if you are online, again, uh, slash give If you're here in the service and you're using your phone for something else, you could also transition over and slash give After the service out in the back, there are some boxes for you to leave your tithes and offerings in. But let's pray that God will use our offering. God, we, we appreciate everything that you've done for us. And... This time of offering is where we specifically focus on our funds, and we pray that you'll take the money that is given, that you'll use it for your kingdom purposes here in Port Orange, throughout Central Florida, and around the world to advance your kingdom, and we pray for our, for our neighbor 
that needs our help. Lord, let us be generous givers, and God, use that to be the healing power of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know that any of us introduced ourselves. That was Tim, and um, I'm Garen, and you saw Jen. We are three of the four pastors that are here. Um, I lead this ragamuffin band, and, uh, and the one missing beetle is Jason, and he is uh, not with us today, but Jason rounds out the team until. Joy, come on up here. So, Joy has worked at our preschool for a long time. 40 years? Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Like six years, seven years? 11 years! So, stand up here. Actually, are you taller than me? Yeah, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. kidding. Yeah. Not liking this at all. So, about a year ago... Joy became our assistant director of the preschool, um, taking on some more leadership. And then about six months ago, we said, Joy, could you help us with our kids? Pastor Jen's been doing a great job, but that's not the post that Jen was assigned to. She's been helping with kids, and Joy has an affinity and a great talent for it. And so she started in August just kind of helping out, and the board loves her so much, and we've seen so much in her, and she's so amazing that this past couple of weeks, about two weeks ago, we asked her if she would pray about becoming our children's director. And she said yes. And so technically, I guess she's starting today. Uh, but will you all welcome Joy to the team? Welcome. She's a runner. So if you, if you like, want to give her a gift, like for a welcome, don't give, it, don't give chocolate, right? No, no chocolate. Uh, maybe an energy bar. So I want to tell you about a guy named George Mueller. Have you heard of George Mueller? Okay. A lot of people have heard of George Mueller. A lot of you haven't. George Mueller was a man who lived in the 1800s. And when I say he lived in the 1800s, he was born in 1805 and he died in 1898. So he saw almost all of the years. He was um, German originally. And he, he and his wife... When they got married, they decided, we want to have a life verse. Do any of you have a life verse from the Bible that you're like, this is kind of mine? Anyone? Anyone? I see a couple people nodding. Do what? Okay, yep. So, yeah. So, we, there are people that have life verses. If you don't have one, I encourage you. It's a great thing to do. Well, George and his wife, when they got married, they decided, we need to have a life verse. And they picked Luke 1233. 
You want to know what it says? Luke 12.33 says, Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. That was their life mission. God, we just want, we want to give you everything. We want to give you everything. So we're going to do what you say. We're going to sell everything and we're going to just give it all away. And so they became missionaries to England, specifically Bristol. And, and so here's what happened. They got there and like, God, what's the need? And they noticed all of these homeless children, all these orphans. And they said, okay, that's a need. And so in 1836, they took in nine kids. Pretty awesome, huh? Could you imagine taking in nine extra kids? Within the, short, uh, within the course of nine years, they had rented three houses, two houses plus theirs, and they were servicing 145 orphans. You know what the neighbors did? They complained. We don't, we don't like that in our neighborhood. And so that's how George started orphanages. That's how he, that was the catalyst. He said, I want to give everything away. I want to find a need. I want to fulfill what God has for me. Let's do it. His entire life, he didn't take a sing, he didn't ask for a single penny for the ministry. He said, I don't want to do it. God, if it's going to happen, it's got to be because of you, so I'm going to trust you. I don't need to beg for it. You're going to provide. So let me ask you a question. This might be um, a little taboo if you're visiting with us. We don't talk about this a lot, but let me ask you. Do you love money? Do you... Do you love it? Do you, um, do you love the safety that it brings? Do you like being able to, to buy whatever you want at any moment? Do you have a right relationship with money? Do you sometimes worry that you don't have a right relationship with money? So here's what the writer in Hebrews says about money. You ready? Keep your lives free from the love of money. Nine words. Nine words that have messed me up for a while. Keep your lives free from the love of money. I like how the NLT says it. The New Living Translation takes nine words, boils it down to three. Don't love money. Don't do it. Be satisfied with what you have. Don't love money. You can love God. You can love people. You can love Jesus. Just don't love money. That's not where your affection should be. See, but the problem is we are prone to love money, aren't we? I mean, let's be honest. So I was thinking about... um, you know how it is. I love going to birthday parties, to kids' birthday parties, and they'll get a card, and you know what they're thinking. They open up the card, and the first thing they're looking for is, is anything falling out? <laughs> and, and if you're a good parent, you've taught them, read the card first. That's the most important thing. But you know in the back of their mind, they're saying, how much did they give me? 
We learn it at an early age, don't we? Sorry, I didn't even see you all over there. So, thanks. We learn it at an early age. Jesus says, don't love it. The Hebrew writer says, don't love it. So in Luke, Jesus puts it this way. In Hebrews, it says, don't love money. He says it because Jesus says in the book of Luke, you cannot serve both God and money. You'll hate one and you love the other. Don't do it. Don't love money. Because the simple truth is you can't love two things. You can't be divided in your love. You can serve God. You can serve money, but you, you can't serve both. And I know a lot of you sit there and go, well, I could do it. Jesus is saying, no, you can't. Because sooner or later, you will become divided in your thinking. So don't even go there. Paul would uh, put it this way in 1 Timothy. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He's not saying money is the root of all evil. Hear me. This is going back to what Jesus said, what the Hebrews said. It's, it's, where's your allegiance? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul says, don't do it. You're going to get in trouble. And, and here's the proof. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the true faith. And they've pierced themselves with many sorrows. Don't do it. I know you think you can handle it. That's what all people that are out of control think. I got it handled. Don't do it. You can love God or you can love money, but you can't love both, so love God. Now, if you have a journal with you, we gave journals out during the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you still have that. If you have it, get it out. I want you to write something down. I don't tell you to write things down very often. If you don't have something to write with, grab your phone. I want you to take this picture because I'm going to tell you something That'll change your life, or at least mess it up, if you're willing to hear it. Are you ready? Here we go. We should love God and use money. But we are prone to love money and use God. This is what we should do. This is what our default is. This is if we just rationalize it out. This makes sense. We should trust God and we should love God and we should use money. But at the end of the day, bills got to be paid. At the end of the day, I like having nice toys. And if we're not careful, we go from loving God and being thankful for what God has supplied, and we start becoming focused on what we can get and God being our magic genie that's going to get us what we want. We should love God and use money. But that's the problem. We're not, we're not, that's not how we're wired, is it? So the Hebrews writer says it this way. Ready? Don't love money. We already talked about it. You should have. You should have been there with me. Say it with me. Don't love money. That's Hebrews 13. Now, so let's set this up. What's going on in Hebrews? Let me find where I am in my notes. Here's what's going on in Hebrews. 
We're in the 13th chapter for this one verse, but there are 13 chapters, so that means there are 12 that come before it, right? And so what is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Now, this is a book that most say is written to people that are being persecuted at the time. This is for people who are being um, taken advantage of for their faith. They're being persecuted for their faith. For many of them, their land is being confiscated for their faith by the state. This is, you know, not good. And Jesus is, and, and the writer is saying, you may be losing everything, but if you have Jesus, you got everything. Just keep your priorities. It's about Jesus. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's not about what you're getting or what you're losing. It's about Jesus. Love God. Don't love money. And so then we get to chapter 13, and Paul runs through this litany. If you have your Bibles, he says, okay, so let's wrap this up. That's what, or that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Love one another. That's a good idea, right? Show hospitality to strangers. We can find that in the Bible, right? Don't, don't abuse those that are suffered or mistreated. Look out for them. Mm-hmm. Keep the marriage bed pure. And don't love money. And I don't know if you've read very many passages, but it's so funny how... It's frustrating and funny how sex and money are often paired together when they're being talked about in the Bible. Why do they got to do that? Why do they got to go there? Keep the marriage bed pure. Don't love money. I think maybe one of the reasons that, that they're paired together so often is because those are two things that if we are not careful... They will consume our lives and usurp our love for God. They are two things that if we are not careful, they will become nothing more than ways to find self-gratification. So don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Everybody satisfied? You good? Everybody like, I don't need another penny. I'm great. I know that I, I feel like I, I could use a little more. That's what we're prone to. And Paul's saying, you don't need more. You got enough. More is a tricky thing, isn't it? We want more. More food. More time. More energy. More toys. More cars. And if it's not more, you know what else it is? Better. Better house. Better job. Better car. And and if it's not more and if it's not better, a lot of times it's next. It's what's the next job. The next pay increase. The next vacation. Being content is a difficult thing, isn't it? And yet discontent could be a very big sign that we have a lack of trust in God. Because we don't trust God to provide for our needs. 
so we decide we're going to help God out. So that was Hebrews 13.5, 13, So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. Do we really believe that, that God is our helper, that God will give us everything we need? We don't need to worry about anything. Remember, he's writing to people that are losing things. They are being persecuted for their faith. They are losing their land and property to the state because of their faith in Christ. And he's saying, the Lord's my helper. I'm not going to worry about that. What can people do to me anyway? Right? I mean, I have Jesus, so I have everything. Let me tell you this. We need to hear more about enough. Because we've heard enough about more. In an age where social influencers are on TikTok and YouTube telling us the latest thing that we have to have and you're not living your best life if you don't eat here, we need to hear, well, as Mary Poppins says, enough is as good as a feast. We need to hear more about enough because we've heard enough about more. So the question is, when will we be satisfied? Fill in this sentence. I will be joyful when... Don't say it out loud. But maybe you think, I'll be joyful. I'll be satisfied. I'll be content when I'm married. When I'm single. Some of you are laughing a little too hard. When I get that next job, I'll be joyful just when I get that promotion. When I'm finally recognized for my achievements, I'll get that... I'll be joyful when I finally reach that next milestone, when I have that next kid, when I... We've become addicted to more. And Jesus is calling us to rest in the fact that He is enough. So... We're talking about our core value of extravagant generosity. That's what we believe, and a lot of that deals with money. But really, at the heart of it, it's about discontentment. Money's just the symptom. It's about, I'm not satisfied with what I have, and I don't think God's doing a good enough job, so I'm going to take matters into my own hand and kind of make things happen. Right? I mean, let's be honest. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do, though. That's not what Jesus was telling us to do. That's not what Paul was telling Timothy. There's another passage in in Philippians that Paul writes about. I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. So you've got to remember that before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And technically, Paul was still Saul. He was just saved by Jesus, but he... There was a time when he had everything. And then Jesus got a hold of him on a road to Damascus and everything changed. And all of a sudden, he knew extremes. I, knew, I know what it's like to have everything. I know what it's like to have nothing. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach. With plenty 
or with little. Paul says, I'm not going to play the rat race game. I'm not going to worry about money. I'm not going to try to have more. I'm not going to deal with how could things be better. I've learned that if I have Jesus, I have everything. And because I have Jesus, I can be extravagant in my generosity in all things. Learn the secret of being content. Contentment is an inside job. It's not about you getting more that will make you content. It's about knowing whose you are. It's about knowing who you serve. It's the inside things that will help you learn how to be content. That's why we teach about tithing. That's that's why we talk about money, and we don't talk about it very often. If we were to talk about money in proportion to the amount of time that Jesus talked about money according to scriptures, you would have about 13 sermons a year on money. We actually talk about it very little. If you're visiting with us, this isn't normal. But this is important because the love of money is the root of all evil, and we want to root out any kind of evil in our lives, right? So we talk about giving and we talk about tithing. We talk about it's all God's and I'm content, so if God gives me more, I'll just be a conduit. And if God takes some away, I'm just a conduit. I will have exactly what God knows that I need and I'm going to be content. I'm not going to play the rat race. I'm not going to keep up with the Joneses. I'm not going to go into debt up to my eyeballs. I'm going to learn the secret of being content. And it's really not that much of a secret because we are content when we are found in Christ. We are content when we know who we belong to. We are content when we walk and talk with the Savior of the world. That brings contentment. It's not much of a secret except for the people that don't know. So when Jen and I lived in Kansas, we had just gotten married. Oh, my word, we were so poor. We were so, as they say in the South, we were so broke we couldn't pay attention. Boom, boom, you get it. We got married. So, so I started student teaching in January, which means I didn't pull in a paycheck until September when I started my teaching job. We got married in June, and we paid for the wedding. We moved to a different state, and Jen was working some piddly job at headquarters, and we were making diddly. And so our church was having this, this program, and they were like, we want you to be successful in life, we want you to be successful in God, and that means understanding how to be successful with your money. And it doesn't mean stacking up your 401k, although there may be some of that. It means how can you learn to live in a right relationship with money? And so we met with a guy named Rusty. He was an accountant, and so he sat down with us, and he's like, okay, first let's talk about what's your income. Well, I make this much as a teacher, and Jen's like, I make this much as um, you know, working at the Nazarene headquarters. We don't make a lot of money. Okay, that's okay, that's okay. Any other income? Nope, that's it. All right, let's talk about your, your outflow. What, what, what are you spending money on? Okay, well, we've got rent. Okay, well, we've got money. I mean, we've got food. Okay, well, we've got electric. Well, we've got, you know, the phone bill. We've got and it didn't take very long until the number at the top was gone and we were still adding items of expenses. 
And, and he said, so you're probably not giving, right? No, no, we tithe. So he's like, you give a little bit every night? No, 10% of every check. Before, before we go to the grocery store, we write the check to, to God. We, we just believe that that's what we're called to do. And Rusty looked down at the paper. And, he looked, and so what's your other income? Nope, that's it. She works at headquarters. I teach. And you're paying all these bills every month? Yep. You're not floating some and kind of cycling some? Like, nope. Everyone's getting paid. But you're making this. And we went around. And finally he's like, I, I can't teach you anything because what you are doing doesn't make sense on paper. And he said, all I can tell you is that God is being faithful to your faithfulness. Keep doing what you're doing. I don't know how, I mean, it doesn't make sense. And yet somehow when we love God more than we love money, there always seems to be enough of God and money. Um, It really came down to, did we trust God? Did we trust that he was going to provide? Because it was very easy to look at the bills and say, well, God's going to have to go down on the list farther down than rent because we need a house. God's going to, no. We decided that God was the priority and God would have to be responsible for providing for our needs. Does that mean we lived extravagant lives? No. We were living beans and rice. We were, we were living on macaroni and cheese and anything that cost less than a dollar and it was not very healthy and yet God provided Um, there's a lady I know she went to Trevecca she felt called to go to Trevecca that's our Nazarene University in Nashville I'm not going to tell too many stories sorry so this was back like in the 70s. And so she was like, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm supposed to go into ministry. Trevecca's the, the Nazarene school that I should go to, so I'm going to go there. And she said, but I don't have any money, zero money. Her parents gave her gas money to get into Nashville. She had no money for tuition. She had no money for books. She had no money for rooms. But she said, I feel like God's telling me I need to go to Trevecca, so I'm going to go to Trevecca. So she arrives with no money and her life verse was the one, the verse in Psalms that talks about how he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so her mantra was, if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, surely he can butcher one for me if he needs to. I'm not going to worry. If God's in control, I'm going to step out in faith and we're going to see what happens. And so she got to Nashville. She arrived like on a Sunday morning and she went to um, First Church of Nazarene. On Sunday evening, no money, planning on sleeping in her car, school was going to start the next day, hadn't registered because she doesn't have any money, doesn't have any books, doesn't have anything. She's sitting there, she's worshiping the service.